Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. We all all share a love for Maine's environment. Every day, decisions are made that could impact our woods, waters, wildlife, and climate. Join us as we share stories of Mainers working to build healthier communities and protect what makes Maine so special. One of my absolute favorite things about Maine are the young people that are questioning the status quo, pushing us all to be better by re-envisioning what it means when we say statements like, we wanna protect the things that make Maine so special. And so part of this conversation has really gotta be a recognition that for too long, the conservation and outdoor communities have excluded many uh, in our community, making them feel uncomfortable, unwelcome, even unsafe. Uh, Bree Dosty is one of those Mainers who's pushing us to create a more welcoming space for a greater diversity of people. Bree founded the Confluence Collective, a group that is challenging the overly, um, overwhelmingly homogeneous white male fly fishing community by removing barriers, supporting individual growth, and instigating change. Um, I'm your Frontline Voices host, Colin Durant, and for our 100th podcast episode, that's right, (laughs) I'm so honored to be joined by Bree to speak about her work. Welcome to the podcast, Bree. Thanks, Colin. Happy to be here. Yeah. So let's just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and your connection to Maine's outdoors. Sure. So I'm Bree. I she her pronouns. I am Mainer through and through. Um, I grew up and found myself in the Maine outdoors, like every friggin' step of the way. Mm. Um, I grew up in central Maine, um, going around Oxford County and Rustic County. Um, and my like number one way to spend time and learn was just being outside. I had a super involved mom, uh, who, uh, for a long time homeschooled me and science class was like going outside, flipping over logs, looking for salamanders and shit. And that was just like, Oh, sorry. I don't know if I can. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. That's fine. You're, you're all good. (laughs) Um, yeah, we're all all grown ups here. Yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) Um, yeah. Being outside and just being really curious and, Mm. um, following that curiosity wherever it might be. Um, grew up picking fiddleheads and uh like nice. I went fishing with my mom and her dad when I was younger and that was a new and exciting way to be outside and to see cool things that live here and um yeah I I think like the main outdoors more than anything is where I feel most at home even like mm. outside of human created spaces like just mm-hmm. being outside here there's something really special about everything um and mm-hmm. those ecosystems are like family to me so yeah mm. I love it here <laughs> that's so great I mean I think so many people feel that way about the outdoors right let's just talk a little bit about fishing right I'm so you know fly fishing fishing has emerged as this really a central core part of your life and identity right so can you just talk a little bit more about that journey and how fly fishing you know became this central part of your life yeah um well when I was probably six, I want to say, um, I had always heard my grandfather talking about catching brook trout and, Mm. um, like eating them mostly, which sounded fun. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I remember like a really formative experience was going outside at, at my grandparents' house with my mom and just like playing around in the brooks, um, that were out behind their house and kind of all over. Um, and, 
we took like gear from the basement and caught mm. a little brook trout from like a pool below a culvert. So nothing like super romantic about it, but like as a kid, it felt really cool. Yeah. Um, and getting to see something that lives in a totally different environment is like just fascinating, at, at least for six-year-old me. And brook trout are beautiful and mm. I just wanted to meet them all. Um, so <laughs> I was I was so excited with that experience. I like, we had to keep the fish. Thankfully it was just barely big enough that we like brought it home. And then uh, my grandfather like helped us prepare it. We dissected the stomach, saw what it ate, wow. cornbread all over it and ate it. And it was a really, uh, really cool way to connect what I didn't realize was like our heritage as a family also mm. um like one of those things that looking back it just was so special and such a relationship mm -hmm. building moment for me um and up until the end of my grandfather's life where he had um dementia we could still talk about fishing and he could still tell me stories and it was like incredible just this beautiful way to build relationship um, and I started fly fishing as a way to build relationship when I was probably 15, 16. Um, my boyfriend at the time really liked fly fishing. I was like, hey, this seems cool. Like, I love birds and being on the water also. So this is a cool way to do that. Um, and him and his dad taught me how to fly fish on a bass pond behind their house in the summer. And oh, wow. that just became our way of hanging out for, you know, he's still my favorite fishing buddy to this day. Um, so yeah, fly fishing is a huge part of my life. Um, and mostly just like the places that it brings you to. Um, yeah. and thankfully I had a lot of like very love encapsulated ways to interact with it. So I was, yeah, I was hooked. <laughs> <laughs> As Absolutely. they say, <laughs> um, I mean, you just talked about brook trout, how beautiful they are, right? Is that your favorite fish to catch? Do you have a favorite? All of them are my favorite. Yeah, yeah, there you go, right. <laughs> like, right. everyone is so cool. I think yeah. they do hold a very special space in my heart um, since we have a long-standing relationship. Um, but catching fish where they're supposed to live is such a special thing. Um, and, like, the process of doing that allows you to be a part of their ecosystem in ways that otherwise... Mm. You just don't think about, hmm, if I was a fish, what would I be doing right now in a lot of ways in your life? Mm -hmm. Like those opportunities where you get to do that. And especially with something that is like supposed to be there, you, you learn a lot through it. Mm -hmm. So, oh yeah, they're besties. That's awesome. I hear, I hear that. I have a couple of friends that hunt and I hear the same thing as that like close connection. I mean, friends that fish too, but you hear that resoundingly like that close, you get closer yeah. to nature through, yeah. through, yeah, through that. Um, well, one more question about you, and then we're going to switch to your work at Confluence Collective. I just want to touch on your art. It's gorgeous. You create oh. some stunning wildlife art, which people can view on your website. Um, yeah. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? How did art emerge as 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 um, part of your life or part of your journey? Oh, geez. Um, I think <laughs> around the same time that I was first catching brook trout, I also really love birds and um, we were part of like Stanton bird club growing up and, um, did a junior naturalist program. And, uh, through those like community-based settings, we got to nerd out about this, mm. like these organisms, um, with other people who were as excited. So it just like fueled the fire. 
And um, there were prompts every once in a while where you could report on one of the species and like share your findings. So we were definitely the family that was like paper mache golden eye chicks when we were younger <laughs> so that we could talk about their whole life cycle and just how incredible of an animal they are. Um, and I started drawing when I was really young and mostly it was a way to like get to know each bird a little bit more because they're just, I don't know, there's so much going on there. They're beautiful. Mm. They have some like feather details are super fun to draw. Um, mm. So I started doing that. And then I started drawing a lot of ducks for like the federal um, junior duck stamp competition. Oh yeah, and, I know that. Yeah, I won for Maine a couple, like quite a few years. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah, <laughs> it was wild, which I'm still like uncomfortable with the recognition. Um, but that just like was a really good way to be like, hey, this is something that not only am I enjoying, but other people seem to be enjoying. And I still don't know everything about birds, so I'm gonna keep doing that. Um, and that just turned into a way to kind of show and honor parts of nature as a whole. So it's it's less about like the individual species, it's more about like everything that's involved in nature and, and just mm -hmm. another way to get curious about it and you know to think about how interconnected it all is. And I think my art these days is really focused on those relationships and interactions and um, kind of pulling apart the the relationships as we see them as humans and also mm -hmm giving more agency to the animals um I do a lot where it's like birds and fish interacting which otherwise like those realms of air and water aren't necessarily interacting a ton unless you're not eating each other um <laughs> so to like think about what that interaction is like when we're not you know when we're just existing uh has mm. been really fun and yeah I think art has just been a really it's like a love note to nature for me so I I, I will always have more love to share and that's a really nice way to channel it that's so cool um well thank you for sharing your art um let's just so let's shift a confluence collective and this amazing work that you're doing to make fly fishing more welcome to a greater diversity of people can can you introduce our listeners to the group and to your mission yeah uh so confluence collective is a community of people who believe everybody belongs on the water. Mm -hmm. um, it started with me in 2019 and initially as a way to build programs where um, in spaces where I otherwise would not have found myself um, and bring people together through their connection to the water. Um, the, <laughs> for those who are less familiar with the fly fishing space, it can it like a lot of first interactions if you have the opportunity to interact at least in my experience and especially in Maine is like through some guy that you know um and for me like I borrowed gear from um you know my boyfriend's dad and like they were really kind and loving in sharing their passion but they also shared it in a really specific way that's mm -hmm. informed by who they are as people and the way they move in the world and not all of it resonated for me. So I started finding myself in women's groups and that also wasn't entirely resonating. Those are still like super white, super heteronormative spaces. Um, it's like just adjacent to whatever norms are in the main group. And also like kind of weird that you have this other category <laughs> for like anglers who care about fishing. Um, 
And all of that felt like a little discomfort, like more than a little uh, uncomfortable. And so Confluence Collective was this initiative of like finding and building community with people who were also naming that discomfort and also like still driven to get outside, knowing how restorative it is to be in nature and knowing all the ways that fly fishing helps you build relationship and learn and be humble and grow. Um, so Confluence Collective now exists as an entity that is working towards access and cultural consciousness and creating spaces for more expansive wholeness. Um, we learn so much from each other and from nature and coming together through that connection on the water helps us meet one another with more open hearts and minds. And it's it can be such a beautiful place to build what we need mm. and to name what we need, which as a practice, we don't do very well if you're used to being othered. Like, it's hard to say, like, this is hard for me <laughs> and to have that kind of attention. And so, and sometimes it just stops there too. So for this and for Confluence Collective, we focus on creating answers to that. So like, you don't feel good here, like what ways can you feel good and how can we as a community support that? Um, so we run community fishing programs. Um, our favorite like signature series are our Outcast Campouts. They're financially accessible, um, inclusive with intersectional awareness. Um, we have gear available. That's a big hurdle for people. Mm -hmm. uh, we also work really closely to empower individuals. Um, to continue growing whatever their relationship with the water looks like for them. Um, it's very different than <laughs> what is presented a lot of the time in the narratives that we see around fly fishing or fishing or generally being outside. Um, so being able to, you know, have some space for whatever version of that fits you and whatever informs it uh, is really empowering and powerful and helps other people um, really deepen their own understanding of self and nature. Um, so we have a lot of open access education. So people feel a little more empowered with information. We do collaborative workshops um, with specific community groups. So um, some affinity space stuff. And also, you know, we do a lot of adaptive programming. Um, there are a lot of logistical hurdles to getting outside. Um, we do grassroots conservation campaigns to help uh, inform people how to put nature's needs first in their interactions. And then we do a lot of partnered storytelling, gear reviews from underrepresented angler perspectives, basically like trying to ensure space for everybody in any way that we can as a community um, and not being like stuck to one answer. Mm, it's just incredibly inspiring. Um, and it's so much yeah, uh, it's it's wonderful. You talked about fly fishing culture, even and I think even more broadly, I said this at the outset, the outdoor recreation conservation groups like ours being overwhelmingly white cisgendered spaces. Right. So how can we over you talked about how confluence cut, but I just want to dig a little bit more into how can we overcome this barrier? How can we, in your words, interrupt this pattern? I saw you say that in one of your articles. And why do we need to do that? Yeah, I think. Um more than it being just whiteness, more than it being just heteronormativity, it's it's ableist, it's cisgendered, mm -hmm. it's often very like male gaze and a very certain type of masculinity in terms of how we approach being outside. Um, and all of these different identities and lived experiences influence shared space on the water. 
Um, so interrupting those patterns in ourselves, naming them and being able to do the interrogative reckoning of seeing the ways that this manifests in your like individual movements mm -hmm. um, is, is necessary because whether you recognize it or not, it, it's impacting other people um, significantly to the point where people feel unsafe beyond just unwelcome. Um, just in my identities as a cisgendered woman, being outside just with that known about me physically can be terrifying if I don't know who else is on the water. It's never, I find myself like not, not fearful of being outside except for who I might run into. And that's mm. a really unfortunate truth for so many people. And because the culture of especially fly fishing, but outdoors in general, is dominated by white male perspective and able-bodied perspective, um, those conversations aren't happening to the degree that they need to be. Where there's, you're not able to see your own, like what you're missing, you know? And so bringing people into the fold and, and recognizing on where your motivations or assumptions are coming from and just recognizing that you have assumptions um is a mm. first step um do you have a sense of like what a right way is to be outside and what informs this like just answer that question and follow the line of inquiry from there i think having more humble spaces that aren't presuming as much about one another is so necessary um, for other people to be able to show up and to mm. be able to show up safely and more comfortably. Um, yeah, just incredibly necessary. Yeah. It, so you just talked about your, you talked about your experience, you know, feeling uncomfortable. And so I'm curious, you know, what would you recommend to newcomers, people who want to, who are curious about fishing, hiking, some other outdoor activity, but are experiencing uncomfort, feeling unsafe. Um, how, how do you recommend people start? Ooh, yeah. Um, oh, I think it is different for everyone. And I mm. can't presume my answers are going to be applicable for everyone. Um, but I think like a really key part is to start by being curious and follow the curiosity. Um, new ways of being in nature can be so overwhelming when you feel like you have so much to learn. Um, and especially in fly fishing where people really like to drop a lot of terminology that can be othering and, you know, is used to posture and all of this. Mm -hmm. um, the, the truth of it is there is always so much to learn. So start where you're most passionate and let that shape your path towards whatever it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like really empowering self and listening to your gut response, like when something's up or you're not feeling like yourself in a space, like pay attention to that because it's other people can't advocate for you in the way that you can. Um, but when you notice it, chances are other people are probably noticing it too, even if they're not in the room. Mm -hmm. um, I remember way back, um, just minimizing and, and still like, this is an imperfect and nonlinear path for me. Um, I minimized so many parts of myself to find what I thought community was in spaces that were not built for me. 
And one of the most important things that I could do was follow my gut when I felt out of place um, in like women's groups as they existed and started looking elsewhere because then I could build community along the way that Mm -hmm. was more comfortable and was more welcoming and loving of more complex existence, I guess. Um, And I think like the really hard part is not giving into the loneliness that can happen in that moment where you're feeling othered and you're not naming it exactly. Like you don't want to be the odd one out. Um, Nature brings people together though. So like I put myself out there as much as I could, however was safe. And I was able to find people who could be that support for me and could ask those questions with me. So this doesn't have to be something that you do alone. Um, There's so many things that we can be learning from one another. And the good thing is that a consciousness and interest in water and being outside unifies in a way that you can navigate a lot of difference and you can be a little more graceful and open to however you show up in that space. Um, I know for our programs, we say like, if you don't picture yourself fishing, like reconsider, um, look in different places. Like there are more places. And if we're creative about it, they're just going to keep getting better um, Mm -hmm. and more comfortable and more empowering. Mm -hmm. So June is Pride Month. One of the activities you're holding is a gay hang and cast at Ferry Beach in Scarborough. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about, folks can go on your Insta to, to see details. Can you just talk a little bit about this event? You talked about some of the other activities, but are there other activities that you've organized through Con- Confluence Collective that you'd like to um, just tell people about? Yeah, uh, I am so excited for this event in particular. I think mm. like uh, <laughs> in the past, I I've organized programs where it has felt like so much work to have it come out the way that feels good. And that is not the case working with Kindling Collective where it was like, we just, we had that gut feeling where it's like, oh my gosh, like we don't have to explain anti-capitalism. We don't have to explain like disrupting heteronormativity. Like we are already starting beyond that. And mm-hmm. um, I think we felt comfortable enough in that to chase joy uh, and prioritize it in that, which was so, it's just so fun. Um, So I'm so excited for what Hallie and Eva are pulling together with Kindling Collective and like with strong ties to Maine for the Confluence Collective, we want to be empowering people who are working towards, you know, a more inclusive, more expansive version of being outside. And so we just like decided to do something very casual and comfortable, which is pretty typical of us. I mean, there's a lot of fly fishing workshops and activities that you can go to that are like super structured and like, here's your syllabus. Here's the exact right way to cast, like Mm -hmm. a lot of specificity around it. And I think, um, something that is different with the way that we approach events is that we're really friggin' humble about it. And we don't Mm -hmm. pretend to know everything, um, because we can't. And also like, you don't need to, Um, And I think that allows for more people to be invited in, in creating that space in ways that is actually comfortable to them instead of figuring out how to fit the space that's been offered them. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, we're excited that Kindling Collective exists. They're doing the cultural disruption things. 
they're prioritizing belonging, which is much different than just like welcoming. Um, and this event is going to be a really chill way to see how that works together. Um, so yeah, more information on Insta. Um, it's really casual. We'll have some casting stuff. We'll look at the ocean. We'll be in queer community. Um, centering queerness in, in itself is a disruption. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> That's gonna... great. And for people who don't know, Kindling Collective, I think is a relatively new, right? A queer centered gear oh, library yeah. education center based in Portland. Sorry, um, my cat feeder is going off. No, no problem. I can't hear it. That's okay. <laughs> the cat's got to be fed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, so anyways, you can check them out. I think they're kindlingcollective.org. They're fantastic. Yeah. That sounds like such a fun event. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited. They're brand new. They have their coming out party this weekend. Um, and they're based at the Equality Center here in Portland. So oh, cool. fantastic. Um, so I'm curious, I mean, you, we talked about people who feel uncomfortable. I'm curious what you think. And or of course, an organization like uh, NRCM that's, that's white able-bodied uh, and more broadly Mainers who, who sort of are in that space as well, who, you know, but who care about outdoor recreation and expanding access. What can, what can we do to make it a more equitable and accessible? What do you, what would you tell organizations, you know, the work that can be done to expand access, create more accessible spaces? Sure. Um, I think, first and foremost, prioritize collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a, a very much a culturally informed norm where organizations and individuals feel a pressure to know and do all the things and to have competence, not only competency, but like expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we miss out on a lot of those important interruptions when we're just chasing that. Um, so I think as organizations and as Mainers, um, a really good initial practice is naming your culture and take some time to really be intentional about digging into like what informs the ways that you move your processes, your interactions. Um, I think we, by not doing that, we allow a lot of the characteristics, especially of white supremacy culture, but a lot of these marginalized um, experiences of, of being human, um, we, we need to be able to name how those characteristics are coming up in the way that we function um, and consider things like how is perfectionism or urgency influencing this? Mm -hmm. um, and having organizations especially do this work internally for their culture as an organization allows much more room for meaningful relationally based collaborations to happen. Um, so I say collaborate, but honestly, first, it's like you got to reclaim your curiosity of self and like what's happening internally and bring an awareness of that to those that you, you know aren't in the room and you want to be and be a part of ensuring the space to be. Um, reclaiming that curiosity for me, I think like as a Mainer, we prioritize like hardworking mentality and mm -hmm. a lot of independence or individual autonomy. Uh, for me, I didn't want to be a burden to anyone else. And like, I almost accepted the, the suffering that happens. Like winter's hard here. <laughs> and, yeah. and also things are hard and they, they all impact our movements, especially if we're trying to deal with them on our own. 
Um, so when I started asking more questions of myself and doing so in a more loving way, I did find others who were doing the same. And when we ask questions together, we come up with much better solutions that expand beyond what any individual can conceptualize. So like, don't put pressure on yourself to have all the answers. You shouldn't. Nobody does. <laughs> like, right, right. We need to be finding them together. And in order for that to happen, we need to know ourselves and like own it uh, and be mm -hmm. honest about it and expect that of one another. Um, yeah. Curiosity of self. That's such a good, good sort of uh, spark. Um, so I just want to wrap up our conversation by saying one of the things I've noticed about your work at Confluence Collective, your personality, you said it in one of the answers I noticed, is that so much of it is centered in joy, mm. right? Joy yeah. is such a powerful emotion. Yeah. Um, so why do you think we need to bring more joy to the work we do? Oh my gosh, so many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Oh, if you're not, if you don't have a, a continuous relationship with joy or like, just like weaving it into the way that you live, uh, you're missing out on so many parts of yourself. And we like joy allows us to connect in ways that are less encumbered by those expectations and assumptions. It's more open. And it also, welcomes ambiguity in a good way like we we start to see ambiguity as uh something we can play with and an idea that like you don't have to know um and and you can be curious about that and that that feeling is so freeing mm -hmm. and i think like we don't give enough space for joy and in the way that we exist within it uh, because of the pressures of the world to be our most productive selves, our best selves, our, you know, all of these things, when at the end of the day, we're all human, we are all growing and learning, we are going to know things tomorrow that we couldn't even imagine existed today. And being able to connect with that with some level of like, regular uh knowing like knowing what it's like to be joyful knowing what it's like to exist as a human that way um helps us build that connection with self and with nature in better ways um i think like right now things are really really hard for especially queer humans bipoc humans anyone who's a racialized human anyone marginalized by what is normative culture um, and like the institutions and systems that have been built with that as like just a running current. Um, mm -hmm. And joy in itself is resistance to that. It is is a reclamation of self and it's a it's a stance of things can be better and they don't have to be the way they've always been, or they don't have to be the way that I expected them to be. I think it's, it's just something that we need to be spending more time with. And um, also it's friggin' nice. So <laughs> we should have some joy and mm -hmm. we should just like revel in it a little bit. It's nice. <laughs> That's such a great way to end the podcast. Brie, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I hope it's given our listeners a lot to think about. Um, 
If you'd like to learn more about the Confluence Collective, you can check out their website, confluencecollective.org. You can check out that amazing art on, on Bree's, that we talked about earlier on Bree's website. It's breedosti.org. That's B-R-I-D-O-S-T-I-E.org. I got that com. right. Dot com. Sorry. Yeah. Dot com. <laughs> um, thank you. And uh, so Bree, thanks so much. And good thank luck with you. the event, the upcoming event. Yeah, thank you. I hope you have some fun today. Thanks for talking. I mean, that's the plan now that we talked. Good. Good. Um, awesome. <laughs> and, and thanks again to our listeners for always tuning in. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends, family, neighbors, and get out there and enjoy yourself. Yeah. Find mm -hmm. that joy. Absolutely. Thanks, Colin. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment, Frontline, Frontline Voices. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work protecting Maine's environment, visit nrcm.org or follow us on social media at NRCM Environment.